All right, just in way of a little bit of review, uh, we've been in this, guys, y'all are y'all jumping in a difficult time. We, I guess, how many months have we been walking through? Uh, several now. Uh, we studied about six months. We've been studying what the Bible says about man, anthropology, and then we studied what the Bible says about God, theology, and now we're studying about salvation, and we've been in this for weeks and weeks and weeks. So. It is difficult, even talk to somebody tonight that's been here almost every time. It's getting more and more difficult as we've gotten into it, so I've slowed it way down uh, so we can comprehend the best we can. But this was the Old Testament word, Behar, that we talked about last week that gives the idea of God being active and choosing. You know, He chose prophets and He chose His tribe and um, various things like that. And at the end, I ran through about five words, and some of you was like, why did you run through? And the reason I went through these five words, and I'll walk through them again, is because they're not used that much. Behar is used all throughout the Old Testament, a number of places. These four words that I'm about to mention, their usage is really low. Some of them just a couple of times throughout the whole Old Testament. But they still show God's sovereignty in, in how they are used. Uh, this is the one, Yada. Um, pronunciation is not important at all, but we see it in Jeremiah's life where he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart or I consecrated you, and I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And see, well, we see the sovereignty of God in Jeremiah's life while he was in the womb. He wanted Jeremiah to understand, Before you were ever born, I've got you marked out. This is what you're going to do. Okay, And then in Amos, where he's speaking to the nation, he said, You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. Therefore, and this is not a good passage in respect, it's a passage about judgment. And I told you last week, you know, I don't punish your kids, I punish my kids. Uh, well, don't do that anymore, they're grown, but you get the idea. So the Lord says in Amos, since you're my kids, I will punish you. And so um, that's how that word is used. This word is used a little bit often. gives the idea of separation. Uh, Leviticus 20, I am the Lord your God who has separated you from all the other people. Speaking about the Jewish nation. He took one nation, he separated them from all the rest, and he brought them to himself. Uh, and then you've got this passage in 1 Kings 8. For you I have separated them from all the peoples of the earth as your inheritance. So God says, you know, the Jews or the Hebrews, this is my inheritance among all peoples. And so he separated them to himself. So it's not the word, the hair, where he's choosing or selecting, but you still get the idea that God's sovereign because he separated something out for himself. Okay. Uh, this one, don't remember how to pronounce it. It's not important. Uh, it gives the idea of taking. Um, Numbers 8.16, For they are wholly given to me from among the sons of Israel. I have taken them for myself. And so, again, you get the idea. This is a little like the word that we talked about going to McDonald's, right? And you say, I want a number one, and you go up there and you pay for it, and that's your meal. And this is how God describes almost how he did the Jewish nation. I've taken them for myself. You know, and he brought them out of Egypt and he brought them through the Red Sea. And he said, these, these are mine. And I took them. Uh, a couple of more Old Testament words. This one's used not very many times, maybe a couple of times. 
2 Samuel 7, for you have established for yourself your people Israel as your own people forever. Again, same idea, different word. And then this is the last one. Uh, when Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. That one's used very sporadically. But again, different words, same idea. God was like, these are my people. And so he uses different words to help us understand why he chose them from all the other peoples in the Old Testament to be his people. Okay? Questions about that? Because I'm about to move into the New Testament. All right. I ask you this every week because I want you to get it down. We're in the plan and the process, but what is the motivation? What motivated God to save us? His character. His character. What was the grounds? Glory. Huh? Glory. No. Atonement. So I was trying. I'm a visual guy. Um, so I'm, I was always doing this in school, trying to figure things out visually, or I wouldn't understand them. So if this is the mountaintop, and this is our salvation, right? Down here is the bedrock to that mountain. And you could, you could ride in Christ, but what He did on the cross is what all of our salvation is based on. Okay? So if this is eternity with God the process and the plan that he goes through to save us, we're about to number them off. You know, this one is going to be election as we're talking about this in eternity past. But this is, it's, our salvation is built off of this. Without Calvary, there is no salvation. So this is the foundation to everything that he did. But if I come out here and I do this to describe it all, what have I got out here? Every bit of it is based on the character of God. And I don't know if that helps you or not, but we're, we're going to be filling in the blanks going up to the top of the mountain. But we're talking about things that are difficult to understand that we find in the text, but they were accomplished in eternity past. Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world. And I know that it happened in a time and a place, and we read about that in the Gospels, but you've got to understand, in the mind of God, that was accomplished before He ever set a star in the sky. He was going to redeem all of mankind based on the death of His Son. Okay? And likewise, some of these other things are going to take place in eternity past, and we just read them about in the text and don't fully comprehend them. But none of it would have been done if it had not been for the fact that He is a God that is full of kindness, loving kindness and mercy and all those wonderful things that we read about. And God wanted to show us what He was like. And so that's the reason that we have this. Okay? And we, we dealt with this question, you know, several weeks ago, back when we were in the sanctuary, we dealt with evil. And, you know, you know, if, you know if there's no sin, God has nothing to do with sin, and He created all things. Did God create sin? And we walked all through that. But you understand, without that, we wouldn't understand this. Because without that, this would not have been needed. And if this would have not been needed, we wouldn't have known about the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God. And so all these things are well beyond the scope of our ability to understand. 
But yet we see all of this going on in the Bible, and it's absolutely marvelous when we think about the wisdom of God. He is remarkable. We just don't have English words to describe God, right? But anyway, we walk through that. Without that, there is none of this. And so he came forth willingly and died. All right? Questions? I'm going to roll into words now. All right. Old Testament word was behar. New Testament word is ek lego. And I've got to teach you a little bit of Greek tonight because it doesn't exactly work like English. And pages like you mentioned lexicon a couple of times and some of y'all may not know what a lexicon is. It, it's basically a dictionary. It gives you a vocabulary of a particular language. And so there's lexicons that everyone uses and I'll show you, well, BDAG, you know, that's the most significant one, and Thayer's is another one that you use to get these definitions, Greek definitions. So, you know, you can buy those. I got one on every device that I own, I think. Uh, you've got these lexicons. But this is a compound word, ek lego. Ek means out of or away from, and then lego means to collect or gather. And so you can kind of see how this word is formed in the Greek. And then you go through the Bible, and I included almost every reference of how this word is used as you walk through the New Testament. And this is, this is the process we've been, uh, we've been walking through. You take all the passages, every time that word is used, you understand the context in which it's used, and then you begin to form your thoughts about what it means. Does that make sense? All right. So when this word is used in, one guy said every context, and to be honest, I didn't, I have not finished looking through every single context, but he said when this word is used, every context involves three things. There are several objects from which to choose. The person making the choice is not tied down by any circumstance which forces his hand, and the person making the choice has the person or thing to be chosen at his disposal, he owns it. So in other words, we're going to go through 30-something passages, and every time you're going to see that context, nothing's forcing the hand of God. Once the choice has been made, we go back to that word, you've been bought with a price, now glorify God with your body. He owns you. So don't walk in sexual immorality. You get that idea, okay? And you also get the idea there's, there's things to choose from, okay? So here's the first one. Now, you got, this is what you've got going on. And again, this is, this is different than English, just a little bit. So you've got the noun, and you all understand what a noun is, the subject, right? Uh, you've got adjective forms of this word that help describe something, right? And then you've got verb forms. And when we get to the verb forms, if we make it this far tonight, it is super unusual, and I'll talk about that. So taking that word ek lego, you're going to see it in noun usages. You're going to see it as an adjective. And then you're going to see it in verbs. 
but this one right here is the most helpful to me. So let's walk through the nouns, then we'll look at the adjectives, okay? Uh, and it, again, if I need to say something again so it makes sense, I'll do that. Acts 9.15 is the first usage that we find where this word is in a noun form. And it says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a eklego instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the sons of Israel. Now, who's he talking about? Paul, the Apostle Paul. Now, well, he wouldn't call that a noun for those of you who can remember high school English. Uh, but Greek works funny because there's two nouns that sit side by side. So Paul is elect and he is instrument. And God says, he's my tool to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. He is both my instrument and he is chosen for this very purpose. Okay. So it's not working like a verb or an adjective here. Uh, again, Greek's a little bit different. I think you can see the noun better in the second passage. Romans 9, 11, For though the twins were not yet born, had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to His choice would stand, not because of works, but because of God or Him who calls. Who's he talking about? Jacob and Esau, right? And before those boys were ever born, God set one apart for his own purposes. And Paul describes it in Romans before they were ever born, before they'd ever done anything, so that God's purpose according to his process, his elect or his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Okay? Nouns. Now, you could see this really in the life of Jacob here when we go back to this because before he was born, God had already set him aside. He, he's going to do what I want him to do. It's going to be him that he's going to carry the promise through and not through his brother. And, you know, this has already happened too on Jacob's behalf. All right? So all these things are beforehand when you see this word often used. Here's some more nouns. Again, it devotes the act of the choosing itself or the action, I guess, if you will. Romans 11, in the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Okay, now that's definitely a noun for, and you often see this in relationship to this word, by the way, a remnant according to God's choice. Romans 11, 7. What then, what Israel is seeking, it has not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. And that's a difficult pill to swallow. We'll eventually get to Romans 11. Your kids will probably be out of high school by then, but we'll get there. Um, but he's talking about, you know, after Calvary, you see God open up the doorway of the gospel to the Gentile nations, right? And he cuts off that branch, if you will, of the Jews. But he tells them, I didn't cut them all off. No, there was a remnant among the Jews who were my people, and you see that in the book of Acts, that there were Jews who repented and believed in the gospel, okay? But the majority of the nation rejected Christ. And you're like, well, why in the world did these handful of people that were Jews that were raised the same way, 
you know, taught the same religion, held firmly to the law. Why were there just a few of those who repented and believed in the gospel? And yet as a whole, the nation didn't want anything to do with Jesus. How did that happen? You see how this happens in Romans eleven seven. God says, I set a remnant apart. They were mine. And so they came to saving faith through that. Okay. Romans eleven twenty eight. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Now he's talking about Old Testament, his choice. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. And we'll get into this too. Some people are under the impression that the church has replaced Israel. That's not the way I understand Romans 11. There will be a day of great repentance among the Jewish peoples and they will return to their Lord. Why do I base it on? That's one of them. Romans 11, 28. Because God has still set His affection on them and we're in a period of time where they're hardened while Gentiles, we come to faith in Christ. But the way I understand Romans 11, there's going to be a time where we're going to be hardened and we will see the return of those peoples. They didn't replace the church, or the church didn't replace them. Uh, a lot of people would argue with me about that, but again, it's just all about how you approach the text. All right, here's one that's really good. Let me see if I've got, I thought I had notes on this one. This one is absolutely profound. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you for our gospel did not come to you in word only but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. This passage is remarkable if you'll spend some time. First of all you got this word beloved that's in a perfect tense which means you stand in the state of having been loved by God. I may use that in a wedding coming up pretty soon. It's a pretty remarkable thought for a husband to communicate to a wife on their wedding day that as long as we're married, as long as we're living, you stand in the state of having been loved by me. You know, because every spouse wants that, right? But you need to understand as God's child, that's an eternal perspective. That's not a timeline that's going to resolve at death. God says, you stand in the state of having been loved by me, and that will never change. That's enough to get you out of bed in the morning, no matter what's going on in your life, right? That's awesome. But he goes on and he says, brother and beloved by God, his election of you. He's like, well, how do you know that? Well, here's Paul says, here how I know that this took place in eternity past, right? For our gospel to not come to you in word only. You didn't just hear it with your, word, with your ears, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction the gospel came upon you. And you were radically changed. And you, your life was different, right? 
I, I, I told you guys, I know before, some of you probably haven't heard, but when we went up the Northwest, worked with drug addicts for two years, it's like the worst job on the planet, I think. So frustrating. Uh, no one ever seems to turn the corner. But one particular guy, uh, Steve, came in one night, came into our facility or whatever, uh, just trembling. I mean, he was just shaking all over, and he was detoxing what he was. It was alcohol. And uh, you had to sign up, you know, to enter into the program, and so he couldn't even hold a pen in his hand. He was, I mean, he was so bad. I thought, this guy's probably going to die on me. I, I need to check him in the hospital. Um, but he's sitting across the table, and I started sharing the gospel with him. And I'm telling you what, I've never seen anything like that. He really understood the gospel like nobody I've ever seen before in my life. And out of all dozens of guys that we worked with, there was one that came out of all that, radically changed, and it was that man. And he came up to our house once a week and ate dinner with us. And we would go in my office and talk about the Bible for an hour, and he couldn't get enough. And before he was converted, why is it alcohol? He was a, uh, a builder carpenter, and he had stolen things from people. You know, he would, while they were out of the house, he'd rummage through things and get it, and then he'd go sell and stuff. He went back to those people and paid them what he had stolen them and told them that he had come to faith in Christ. And I thought, Phew. And you look at somebody like that, and you're like, what in the world made the difference? The grace of God's what made the difference in that. Because most of those guys, I'm telling you what, it's a difficult thing. But when somebody is converted by the Holy Spirit, you, you know, I mean, you really know. And, of course, it goes back to some of these things here. You're beloved by God, His choice of you, because our gospel didn't come to you in word only. It swept you up into the love of God. Okay? All right. Here's another noun. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling. And here's the word, His choosing of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. I'll tell you what, that's a really good passage. Go to 2 Peter. Lest you think there's nothing for you to do, you're wrong, terribly wrong. Second Peter chapter 1. I want to start in verse 2. Y'all with me? It's a little bit long, but just stay with me. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has given us or granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who has called us, His sovereign work, by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and great promises so that by them you may become partakers of that divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, here comes your work. For this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, 
and in your excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, supply self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and they're growing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, here's his conclusion, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about what God has done, His calling and His election or His choosing of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. So you, election's not, not a place to sit down. Election is a place to where you give your life in the pursuit of holiness. And Paul's like, this is how you are confirmed in your faith. That's why I get frustrated with Southern Baptist preachers because they say, you know, if you, if you don't know that you know that you know, what does that mean? Paul would say, if you're in pursuit of brotherly kindness and, and love and, and self-control, then you can draw some comfort in knowing that God has truly converted you as one of His children because you're concerned about these things. Now, obviously... Everybody, just a wave of conviction just swept through the room, right? It's, it's not all the time, but there is times where you're just like, you know, you know what? I've got to repent, and I've got to get back on the path of pursuing the character of God myself. And Paul's like, that's where you draw your comfort. That's when you know. Uh, before I go to adjectives, any questions? I'm going to do it on time. Ugh, okay. Becky threatened me to not, too. Yeah, she didn't look like she was playing around. All right, adjectives. Adjectives are funny. Sometimes they act like a verb. Sometimes they act like a noun. I'll let Cody straighten all that out for us. Matthew 24, 22. Unless those days had been cut short... No life would have been saved, but for the sake of the electos, these days will be cut short. Okay? Actually, here's the noun form. Uh, unless those days would have been no life would have been saved for the sake of the elect. Is that right? Could what? Uh, it may not be right. I was telling Jeremy, it felt like the elect there at the end, that feels like noun form. I know, but that's what they would call, I believe, Cody, Sarah, an adjectival noun. I know, right? That's really convenient. Yeah. Yeah, it's an adjective that acts like a noun. You're just like, whatever, whatever. Do what? Saved is sozo. Saved is sozo. I thought there was another one in that. Oh, it's in the Mark passage. Never mind. So here's your adjective. You referred to with the A. And by the way, in the adjective, usually always you have an article, the elect. But for the sake of the elect. All right, Matthew 24, false Christs, false prophets will arise and they'll show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even adjective, the elect. Okay. 
Yeah, I get worried when people start telling me they uh, they listen to Joel Osteen. I'm just like, oh no, that's not a good sign. Uh, or Stephen Furtick. Please, if y'all listen to any of those clowns, stop it today. Um, because they're misleading. They're misleading you, okay? But because of the grace of God, not going to happen right there, okay? You'll come out of that. Matthew 24, 31, He will send forth His angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Uh, here it is, Cody. Mark 13, 20. Look at that. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect whom He chose, He shortened the days. The second one, how is that used? Is it a adjective or? It's a verb. That's the verb. Yeah, it's always. I'll talk about that if we ever get to it. So here's the adjective form you're referred to as the elect of God. And this is the verb that he chose. Okay. Uh, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Uh, Colossians 3.12 So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So here's the adjective. As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, he'll put on those. Now, this is what's interesting. So here's your word. This is how Greek works. It's in the emphatic position, so this is, this is what he wants you to understand. You have responsibility here. You yourself do this. You yourself put on, right? And here's your word. Um, chosen of God. And then he's got holiness. And what's this word, Cody? Beloved. In the perfect. Am I right? Okay. All right. So, this is why English is so boring. This is what I want you to do. I want you yourself to do this and put it on as the chosen of God who are holy and beloved back to that perfect state as those whose God has made holy, set apart for himself and shed his love on for the rest of eternity. I want you to do this. So Paul's using those words as motivation for us to understand that we need to put on the character of God. You yourself need to do this. So Christianity, again, once you're a child of God, it's not a place to sit down. It's a place to go to work. And the first place you go to work is on your own heart and your own character. Okay? I don't know about y'all. Uh, there's some of those I struggle with. If you know me very well, kindness would probably be, and gentleness uh, would probably be, too, the ones you'd go, yeah, amen. But the way that you do that is on your knees, begging God to manifest these things in your own heart, repenting for those times that you're not kind and gentle, begging God to stir within your heart His or the character of His Son, making you kind and gentle. 
If you're a child of God, you, you ought to be concerned about those things because He commands you. Listen, God set you apart for Himself, right? He spread His love over you for the, like a blanket for the rest of eternity. Now get busy and have these kind of attitudes in your own heart. Don't be lazy. Don't ever say, well, you know, it's just who I am. I'm just unkind. Don't say that. I will be unkind to you if you say something like that. It's ridiculous. Okay? Uh, you got work to do. All right, we'll stop after I get to the end of the adjectives. First um, Peter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, I'm not going to read all those, uh, who are chosen as an adjective, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. Um, I was going to work through all that, but I don't think I'll work through all that for you. I may save that for next week as a review. First um, Peter 2, coming to Him as a living stone which has been rejected by men, but Christ is elect. He is elect and precious in the sight of God. And you are as well, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Let's see how many more I got. I think I'm winding down. Yeah, this is the last one. Titus 1, Paul, the bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God in the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. That's how Paul wrote his letters. That's why you go to the mission field. That's why you pastor a church. Because in it, you're going to find the children of God. And you give your life in service to them. 2 Timothy 2 for this reason, Paul says, I endure all things for the sake of those who are elect, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. You think about the life of the Apostle Paul, and we'll finish with this thought. Man, he really did endure all things. I mean, how many times did they stone him? Was he shipwrecked? out in the open sea, and yet his whole motivation was for preaching the gospel and seeing those who God had done something in eternity past that they were going to repent and believe in the gospel. He said, I endure all things for those people. And I preach and I preach in order that they might hear the gospel and believe. Because apart from hearing, there's no salvation. Apart from you repenting and putting your faith in Christ, there's no salvation. But Paul's like, I'll, I'll live and die for the sake of those people and I'll preach the gospel because I know what God has done. And he gave his life for that. All right, so nouns, adjectives. I'll review a few of those next week and then we'll jump into the verbs and we won't be there as long because there's more of these than there is this. Questions? Questions?